And so what I, I did want to start with today is <clears throat> specifically bringing up um, Rusty Carr. And I'm sure that many of you know the Carr family um, and, and you know probably Rusty personally. And dang, it's sad. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts to offer on it except that I do think that we need to have him on our minds and and just hearing hearing parents say no no parent or no child should die before their parents we hear that a lot and, and unfortunately we've seen that a lot but then for them to also say and the fact that I can't talk to him and I can't go see him and I'm stuck in my house because they're quarantined as well um, it's a it's not a good situation and the outpouring of the community to them has been amazing I just am so profoundly moved by how people have responded um, but at the same time it, it, it makes you feel the suffering quite a bit um, so continue to pray for him, continue to pray for Tom and Judy. And as Kelly brought up, like Rusty's not the only person going through this. And I think at this point, most people know somebody. And remember not only to pray for the person who is undergoing those circumstances, but their family and their extended family and their friends, the, the amount of effects this is having that are different from normal situations is immense and it's it's scary and it's sad and it's terrifying that it could happen to any of us at any time um and so i want to i want to kind of create a moment of reflection at this point and so if you just need to take a minute and just like close your eyes and pray for somebody specifically um i wanted to share I wanted to share a poem that many of you know, but I have been uh, thinking about this poem a lot since shutdown has happened. And we've, uh, we've read it before, but I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and share this with you all. Um, this is a, a poem by Robert Frost called Acquainted with the Night. And um, I'll just share this as a prayer as a meditation, as a reflection, however you need it. I have been one acquainted with the night. I have walked out in rain and back in rain. I have outwalked the furthest city light. I have looked down the saddest city lane. I have passed by the watchman on his beat and dropped my eyes, unwilling to explain. I have stood still and stopped the sound of feet when far away an uninterrupted cry came over houses from another street. But not to call me back or say goodbye. And further still, at an unearthly height, one luminary clock against the sky proclaimed to me the time was neither right nor wrong. I have been one acquainted with the night. Just leave that with us for a second. Um, yeah, that kind of captures my experience the past couple weeks. Um, it's a beautiful, depressing poem.
Um, I also wanted to, to mention, I don't know if anybody heard the president's um, remarks yesterday, giving an update and, and basically kind of said what we've, we've kind of heard, but this was more formal, that um, this next week's going to be bad. Um, and he specifically used a phrase that I think should be troubling for us, but is also honest. Um, he said, there's going to be a lot of death. And again, I don't know that I've experienced a moment in history where we had to just sit here helplessly and go, a lot of people are going to die and we can't do anything about it. Um, and I think the timing of this part of the coronavirus story is consequential because it's Holy Week. And so we're going to have a week in history where things, not just in our culture and our country, but globally, could, could be terrible. And a lot of people might die. And we are going to be also walking through a historical story that is about death. Um, and so as we move towards Easter, we usually, as you move towards Easter, there's like, okay, let's force ourselves into Lent and let's force ourselves into the darkness of the world and the death and our invitation to enter that death. And then we'll get to Easter and we'll celebrate hope. This Easter is going to be a little bit different, everybody, um, in that we don't get to celebrate hope. We have to hope for hope. And we have to wrestle with the fact that Easter still occurs even in one of the darkest moments of history for a lot of people. Um, so I also wanted to share um, a, a form of liturgy that we usually say during Holy Week as a church. Um, and I'll just read this kind of as a, as a prayer for us. By your cross, you destroyed the curse of death. By your death, you brought us into new creation. By your rising, you inaugurated your revolution of the world. And by your life, you are making all things new. So my hope is that's going to be what defines this week for us. Focus on that, meditate on that, reflect on that, um, allow that to be allow that to be your your mantra as we go through as we go through the week. Because when when President Trump says there's going to be a lot of death, that is the problem that Easter is confronting. That is the problem that Jesus's life and Israel's story is confronting. If you read Genesis 3, the problem's not sin. The word sin, I don't know if you all recognize this, the word sin doesn't show up in Genesis chapter 3. The word death does. And sin seems to be a result of death, that the fear of death produces sin. That's what the book of Hebrews says. Um, so we have a death problem. And this week we're going to be confronted with that death problem. And, and it's going to be more important than ever that we become Easter people. All right. Um, hold on. I need to address a, uh, a customer who's in the barn. Yes, sir. Um, I think by the 
be, be very careful. Okay. That advertisement brought to you by Landon Kleberger. All right. Okay, you all ready to do some Palm Sunday stuff? Here's what I'm going to do. This will be a little bit different than the last couple of weeks. Um, I am going to basically give a short teaching. I'm just going to give you all of this information. And then um, I want us to ask some questions and have some conversation about it and uh, be able to, after I give you the information, my goal is that you do something with that information. All right. I don't want today's conversation to end once I am done explaining this stuff. I, I want us to interact with it, okay? So if you have, uh, if you're a note-taking person, take notes. As you come up with questions, write them down. As you come up with thoughts, jot that down so that when we, when we get to that point, um, we can continue um, with some of that, okay? So I'm going to uh, share my screen with all of you. If you don't have, um, if you're not able to see a screen, um, I, that's fine. You'll, you'll still be able to, to do this. But um, I wanted to be able to kind of give, so you can see all of this stuff. All right? Um, so I'm going to go. Any last words before I jump in? All right, so here's the questions I want to pose to you all. Why palm branches? How does it impact the meaning of Jesus's entrance into Jerusalem? And why is this important for Jesus's passion? Okay, yeah, Jesus's passion being Jesus's death, um, and that leads into his resurrection. Okay, that's often called the passion. So the have that in your head as we go. So if we're talking about Palm Sunday and we're talking about what's happening in these texts, which we'll get to these texts in a minute, you have to, in order to understand Palm Sunday, you have to understand what's called Sukkot. Sukkot is a festival that's commanded in the book of Leviticus. Uh, you'll often hear it's referred to as the Festival of Tabernacles. That's kind of our, our modern English translation of Sukkot. Um, you'll also hear sometimes the Festival of Booths. Um, a couple important points. It's a, an agricultural harvest festival. It is required pilgrimage. Okay, so you would be required to go down to Jerusalem for this. And the basic essence of Sukkot is that you're supposed to remember the providence that Israel was given during the wilderness, okay? So this is kind of, uh, it focuses on post-Exodus as they're wandering kind of thing. Um, hold on, I believe we have a, a guest interruption here. Yes, sir. Um, where's Landon? I think he is outside. I couldn't find him outside. Did you check um, over by the house? I went over there. Okay. I'm getting my water done. Yeah. I, I hope you all are enjoying that. Sorry. All right. Everybody refocus. Here we go. Okay. So now, 
Sukkot. Everybody good with me so far on this? Now, Sukkot lasted for eight days, and <clears throat> it is a feast, so it's an eight-day-long eight uh, festival, and it, it surrounds fruits, right, like harvest, and palms, palm branches. Okay, so the fruits were brought to thank Adonai for the year. Um, so to reflect on this past agricultural year and, and give thanks for that and focus on the providence of that and um, how Israel being fed for that year was similar to how Israel was fed in the wilderness after Exodus. The other part of it was to pray for rain. And you would do this uh, with palm branches. So you have to imagine all, all of Israel gathered around Jerusalem, and the reason that it's sometimes called the Festival of Booths is because they would live in booths or, or tents during this, because that was to remind them of their ancestors that were living in like these makeshift shelters as they were going through uh, the desert, and, and their living in booths for that week kind of reminds them of that liberation um, and what God did during all of that. Now, you would also with all of these people gathered, you would pray for rain. And this was kind of a way to, after you've reflected on the previous year's harvest, to anticipate the next year's harvest. And to do this, you would use palm branches. Okay, so, so when, when modern Christians gather on Palm Sunday and everybody has the palm branches, which I don't see anybody with your palm branches right now. What are you doing? Um, we, we have to understand with Sukkot, we didn't come up with that, okay? So this is rooted in something that, that's, that's very old, and that's a, a big part of the, the biblical narrative. And in praying for rain, um, and I want you to think about this a little bit through the lens of last week's conversation on exile and judgment. Um, if God was displeased, you would make the connection that a lack of rain would be your failure to follow Torah. And there's some explicit references to this in that if you didn't take care of the land, um, if, you, if you didn't take care of your neighbors, you won't be able to then continue to produce in a way that's going to lead to Israel's flourishment. And uh, so part of them way, uh, praying for rain was, was also confronting them on we need to make sure that we follow God's commands, that we follow Torah, we're obedient to these instructions, because that will lead to life for everyone. And, and the symbol that they did this was to, to physically pray for rain and use the palm branches. And what they would all do is they would take those palm branches, and they would all wave them at the same time. So I want you to imagine, what would it sound like if a bunch of people were waving palm branches at one time? sound like rain this is why palm branches were used okay the importance of the palm branch in Sukkot is that it would sound like rain and it would kind of make that a uh, very literal prayer for for Israel now side note and I've got this written here the context of John 7 um, if you're familiar with the Gospel of John Sukkot is explicitly brought up Jesus goes to this festival and the whole story of John chapter 7 is, is brilliant and fascinating, and um, it follows with this, uh, everybody knows the story of um, 
the people wanting to stone the woman and Jesus says, those without sin, let them cast the first stone and they all walk away. That happens at Sukkot. Um, and, and that story would actually be really fun to talk about uh, why that all happens. Um, one, one thing that's often brought up is if you have lots and lots of people uh, hanging out in tents and there's a lot of wine involved, do you think it would be a possibility for somebody to wind up in the wrong tent that night? Just trying to give some background of what's going on in the story, okay? Um, now, at this, in, in John 7, what, what happens is at the height of the festival, the, the high priest would take water that would kind of become an offering and he'd pour it out on an altar. And uh, that would be like the, the big moment of God's providence through water. Um, this is how Israel will thrive. Jesus goes up at the height of the festival and he stands up in front of the crowds and says, you know that water that you pour out to uh, pray for God to continue to guide Israel? I'm that water. Um, so Jesus interacts with Sukkot and gives a nice little twist for it there. All right, so that's the first part of Sukkot is that you're reflecting on the harvest, you're praying for rain and providence and, and all of this going on. Um, Let's jump to Second Chronicles, and I've got the text for you here. Um, feel free to look it up on your, on your own if you'd like. So this is Second uh, Chronicles chapter 6. And uh, I want you to notice a new, a new angle to Sukkot gets added here. Um, and this takes place when the temple is dedicated by Solomon. And Solomon does this during the Feast of Sukkot. So whatever Solomon does here is now going to take on some extra meaning for Israel as they continue to celebrate this festival. So I want you to notice um, what Solomon does, because again, they'd, they'd have the palm branches, they'd be praying for rain, but he also includes something else. So Second Chronicles, likewise, when foreigners who are not of your people Israel, come from a distant land because of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. Okay, so those are all Exodus references, by the way. When they come and pray towards this house, may you hear from heaven your dwelling place and do whatever the foreigners ask of you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel and that they may know that your name has been invoked on this house that I have built. So this happens during Sukkot. And what does Solomon do? He says, part of Sukkot, part of this providence, part of Israel's journey is that all nations will recognize Adonai. This begins to become part of the understanding of Sukkot. Okay, that's important for where, where we're going to go in a minute. So um, let me stop this for a second. Any questions, anything you want me to clarify before we jump into the next part? Okay, so Trisha asked if Sukkot happens in the fall. Sukkot happens during harvest. Um, 
here's here's my problem is i don't i don't know if that's our fall as well um i'm i want to say that it actually happens in the spring because that that that's the chronological sense and israel's um planting and harvesting seasons are are different from ours so it is a it is a fall harvest festival i don't think it happens during our fall though an easy google search would answer that um and to keep myself from uh being ignorant i'm going to say that's all i know there and i probably should know the answer to that and i don't so thanks mom for revealing my inequities in front of everybody it's great okay any any other questions about that yes you can um I just looked it up and yeah, it happens sometime in the fall. It changes because they're on a different calendar, but yeah, fall, our fall. Okay. Any other questions there? All right. Let's keep going. All right. So Matthew 21. Jesus' triumphal entry. I want you to pay attention to what's happening here, um, keeping all those things we just talked about in mind. So I've got it on the screen. If you want it, uh, feel free to read at your own leisure as well. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. All right, let's stop there for a second. Why is this important? Somehow... I want us to connect this with Sukkot, okay? Now, we get a little clue. As has been spoken through the prophet, saying, and we get this. Now, this is what's called a remez, all right? A remez is when you quote something from a text, and by extension, you're implying the rest of this text. So if I said, um, I have a dream, and that's the only quote I gave you, you would probably understand, oh, oh that's Martin Luther King's I Have a, I have a Dream speech. Or if I said, um, ask not what your country can do for you, you would probably be able to finish that quote because you understand where it comes from. Okay, that's how the Jews interacted with the text. So we get this. This is actually from Zechariah. And so we have to ask, what else is happening in that section of Zechariah that could help inform why this gets brought up in this context. Well, this section of Zechariah is about how salvation and shalom are going to be brought to all nations. And this would happen through Messiah. Do you remember anything that maybe we just talked about that 
was about all nations recognizing God and being brought into the life of Israel via the temple. Everybody's heads nodding. You're all making this connection with Second Chronicles. Sukkot becomes about all nations being brought into Israel, right? Here you have Jesus entering Jerusalem, brings up this text from Zechariah, which is, oh, oh, that thing about Sukkot of all nations, it's happening. This must implicate Jesus uh, being part of that, that, that story of Sukkot as Messiah. Okay? Um, now, the people see this prophetic announcement from Zechariah being fulfilled. Um, and what do they do? Okay, so verse 6 in Matthew 21. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them and sat, and he sat on them. This image, I'm, I'm kind of chuckling because this image is just kind of funny to me. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So they see this prophecy from Zechariah being fulfilled that has something to say to Second Chronicles and, and what would be happening with all nations and how that's a part of Sukkot. And what do they do? They like take out their saw blades and walk over to palm trees and start cutting off palm branches and they bring them. Why? That's the question we have to ask. Why would they go get palm branches right in the midst of this because they heard that prophecy being fulfilled in their midst? And it's because they see that what's happening has something to do with Sukkot. And they go and almost like start a flash Sukkot ceremony in the midst of this road where Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. Okay? Everybody following so far? You're starting to get a feel for what's going on with Sukkot. And, and so you get this scene, um, and, then, and then they begin shouting, and this phrase is incredibly important. And it's almost like we must rejoice, and, and we have to go cut down these palm branches because maybe this is when all nations are going to get in on this. And so they shout, save us, son of David. Blessed is he who comes and save us. They start shouting this as a way of saying the, the Messiah is here. What was promised about Sukkot is happening. Let's celebrate. And, and of course, you have to have your palm branch in order to celebrate Sukkot. Okay, now, another important detail is this moment, okay? This triumphal uh, entry into Jerusalem. This is happening at a time in Israel's history where they are under Roman domination, okay? They have been um, for quite a while. And there's a connection being made with this phrase right here. I'm going to... Um, I don't know that I can highlight it, but you, if you can see my cursor, this phrase, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. That phrase, Hosanna, in Hebrew is Hashanah. Um, that phrase is important because about 160 years prior to this moment, there was a person named Judas Maccabee. Does anybody recognize the name Judas Maccabee? Um, he was a zealot who helped drive out the Hellenistic Greeks from Israel. So right now, in Jesus' time, they're under Roman domination. When Judas Maccabee was around, they were under Greek domination. And uh, 
what Judas Maccabee does is he sets them free for the first time in about 500 years. Okay, so you have the Assyrians, have the Babylonians, and the Greeks, and then this, this revolutionary moment happens, and Israel's finally free for the first time in a long time. And uh, I'm going to go away from the text here. What this gets turned into is what we now know as Hanukkah. Okay, so some of you are probably at least familiar with Hanukkah to some extent. Some of you may have interacted with it before, but Hanukkah is about the Maccabean revolt. Okay, and this is really important to understand Matthew 21. Is it really important to understand Palm Sunday? Um, during this, this revolt, they, they had missed Sukkot. Okay, they missed the harvest. And um, let, me, let me connect, make sure I'm not skipping anything. Yeah, okay, so they miss Sukkot um, it, because this all happens to, while they're, they're fighting. And so what happens as a result, everything's done. And so they have to go and they have to cleanse the temple because the temple was made um, unclean by the Greeks. And they did that on purpose to cause grievances with Israel. So they cleanse the temple, and the first thing they do is they're going to now celebrate Sukkot because they missed it, okay? And um, they had just enough oil for one day. And that's a problem because Sukkot is eight days long. And miraculously, the oil lasted for eight days for the entire festival. Now, this moment becomes called Hanukkah, okay? Um, but it's in the context of their, their kind of celebrating a makeup day for um, Sukkot. And within this, Hosanna is, is the phrase that was used to remark on how God has saved them. So Hoshana means save us. And so the, that phrase Hoshana, it became the war cry for liberation and it became this monumental celebration of um, what God had done and what God's going to continue to do for Israel. Because remember, they're free for the first time in centuries and they finally, they finally have their liberation. And because it's Sukkot, what do you think they were using in the temple? Palm branches. All right, so this all kind of, again, this develops into Hanukkah, but this is what's going on. And this is, this is just a hundred some years before Jesus. And so, Hoshana becomes a war cry for liberation, and palm tree branches become not just a symbol of Sukkot and God's providence, it also becomes a symbol of freedom through revolt. All right? So, uh, a, couple, a couple other interesting details is that uh, the Romans, we have some record that the Romans recognized um, th this uh, symbol of revolt and the palms and shouting Hashanah and they took it very seriously and it was actually outlawed. So Israel was not allowed to wave palm branches around unless it was actually the Sukkot festival. Only during that. And so it kind of takes on this meaning of, hey, if you ever see palm branches being waved around that means they're about to revolt and they're trying to do that Maccabean thing they did to the Greeks and we're not going to let that happen. And, and what's fascinating is we're told where this happens by the Mount of Olives. Close to the Mount, Mount of Olives was a Roman garrison 
And so as all of this large crowd is waving these palm branches, which uh, another thing we have is that the, the, some, some Maccabean type people printed coins with palm branches on it, right? So, so they emphasize the symbol. There's a Roman garrison station right there where all of this is happening, um, and they would have heard it, okay? So I hope you're starting to see that Matthew 21 is not like some quaint, very nice, like it's people going, revolutions taken place and there would have been some tension there in that scene right be and you, and you have to you have to understand the the jewish desire to be liberated from rome was strong and so this rabbi shows up on a donkey okay just as the prophet zechariah said that would what would happen and that would be a symbol for all nations entering into israel's life which is a a a meaning placed on sukkot and they start imagining god must be doing something big right now so they just they go and literally just start cutting down palm branches and begin shouting hoshana thinking jesus is going to do this this would have been a very political scene like this is the next Judah Maccabee is fulfilling this big prophecy about God bringing the ultimate Sukkot in our midst. That's what's happening in Matthew 21. All right. So now I want to look at another, another triumphal entry. And this is uh, from the gospel of Luke chapter 19. Um, so this is a little bit different, but I want you to notice what's going on here. After throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power they had seen. Deeds of power. That's, that's not just like Jesus does cool tricks. It's Jesus confronts some stuff. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. That's that phrase. So they've got their palm branches. They're shouting this revolutionary thing. Okay. Notice how the Pharisees respond here. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. So I want you to ask the question in your head. Are the disciples or are the Pharisees jealous of jesus are they trying to stop jesus because they're threatened by him why would the pharisees say this remember there is a roman garrison a stone's throw away what do the pharisees think is going to happen because what this crowd is doing is technically illegal and they say teacher order your disciples to stop or else they're going to come over here and kill us all okay that's that's kind of the interaction. We usually take this as like the Pharisees are trying to get in Jesus' way and Jesus rebukes them. Yeah, kind of, but I think the Pharisees actually have good intentions here. And, and we often just try to make the Pharisees out into a bad bunch. And that's not necessarily the case. Okay. Now, um, notice Jesus' response. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. What does that mean? Ah, yes. Hold on. My uh, waitress is here with a... Uh, some coffee for me and by waitress i mean matt sager that's good thank you so when jesus says even the stones will cry out uh 
is that just like a cool thing to put on a poster or is he referring to something? And hopefully by now, and you know enough about me to go, he must be referring to something and you'd be right. Jesus is. So Mount of Olives, another important locational uh, geographic detail is at the Mount of Olives, there were thousands of graves and uh, Jews didn't use gravestones like we do, but something kind of similar, they would put standing stones on the graves and these like this pile of stones. And those were always used to mark something of importance. So you had all these graves with all these stones. <coughs> um, and Jesus says, if, if the people shouting ceases, you tell these people to be silent and they stop yelling, then the dead will cry out. These stones will cry out. And this is important because he's talking to Pharisees and the dead were unclean, right? And so that's an interesting detail within that. And he says, if these people stop anticipating the Messiah, then the dead will. Now, Jesus is again using a remez. Remember what I had just said about a remez. It's, it's a quote of some sort of text and you're implying the story of that text. This actually comes from the book of Habakkuk. And there's a line, there's a whole section in Habakkuk there where it's basically saying, woe to those who build a city by blood for the stones, the graves, the standing stones will, will cry out against them. And this is where I ask the question, who is Jesus actually confronting in this? Because I, I would take this as, as Jesus saying, the people who want blood and who whip out their sword, the stones will cry out against them. I don't think he's confronting the Pharisees here. I think when he says this, you know, the Pharisees are going, Jesus, you got to tell them to stop because that, that Roman garrison is going to come over here and they're going to kill us all. And I think Jesus says, listen, what Messiah is doing, you know, the people are going to, to cry out and the stones will cry out if we take this and we make this into a violent revolution. If, if we want to, to pull out our swords and make this, this hope of Sukkot happen, it's going to be to our own demise. And, and what I, I find so powerful and meaningful about Luke's version is he says, as he, he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. And he's referring to Habakkuk and he's saying, if, if, if people want this revolution by blood, the stones are going to cry out against them. Woe to them. And then the next thing Jesus does, verse 41, as he came near and saw the city, he wept over it. And this is one of the few moments that we have where Jesus cries. And it's not, it doesn't say like Jesus had a tear come out. Weep there is like body compelled sobbing. And you got to have this picture of Jesus on Palm Sunday, walking amidst all of these palm branches. And he just like viciously starts crying. And can you imagine being one of the people with the palm branches and you're like, yeah, let's go get the Romans. Let's, let's take this thing down. Sukkot's happening. The next Maccabee is here. And then like you just see Jesus weeping and you're like, oh, something, uh, something must be going. Yeah, something's not right here. 
So he comes into the city, he weeps over it, and he says, if you, even you, had only recognized on the, this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. And all of this is said in the context of Sukkot and Second Chronicles and the Maccabean Revolution and the palm branches and Habakkuk. What is going on here? And, and I look at this as when the palm branches happen, it's a sign that these people wanted rebellion. And, and they wanted a zealot who would come and fight the Romans. But Jesus knows that's not what he's going to do, and, and they've missed the point. And, and notice here, Jesus doesn't condemn them. Jesus doesn't turn to them at all and say, like, shut up, stop, y'all got it wrong. He just cries. He just weeps. And he gives a prophecy that the Romans are coming to destroy them. And they will come, and they're going to take the city in blood. And remember that, that line from Habakkuk. And if you want to revolt Israel, I want you to know that you're going to die by revolt. And that's what's going to happen. Because by waving these palm branches, by thinking that I am some sort of violent revolutionary who's coming to overthrow Caesar, if you want that kind of bloodshed, you will get it. But it won't be from me. And he weeps over the city and says, if you would actually know what would bring peace, if you know what would bring the shalom that, that Zechariah is talking about, that, that all nations are supposed to come into, that Sukkot's supposed to bring for Israel, if you actually knew how to bring that peace, then we'd have it, but you don't, and you've missed it, and now it's been hidden from you because you're so sought on, on the Messiah being a Judas Maccabee. And so Palm Sunday, all right, here we go. I think it's, they want a violent revolution and Jesus says that you've missed it. They thought Jesus was coming for one thing and they made him into that. And, the, and I, in fact, the gospel of Mark seems to be more explicit about, about this tension. And, and they miss it. And, and they say, it's time, let's get the swords out. And Jesus weeps. And, and you know, if only you would know what would have bring you peace. This isn't what God is doing in the world, and this isn't the peace of God, and this isn't shalom. And and He doesn't He doesn't get mad at them, and He doesn't argue with them. He just cries, and and basically in the middle of this celebration, what they thought was a celebration, Jesus is heartbroken because He's trying to bring something bigger. All right. Okay. So back to our questions. Why the palm branches? How does it impact the meaning of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem? And why is this important for Jesus' passion? Okay. So, what do you got? What are your first thoughts coming out of that? Remember, you can, uh, you can use the hand raise button. Um, and I'll and I'll it'll tell me that you're you're wanting to talk, um, or you can use uh, you can raise your hand, but the problem is I can't see everybody's screen. Or you can use the you can use the chat. Somebody just use the chat. Oh nope, that's a private message to me. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, so 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 somebody get us going here. 
or you can just unmute yourself and start talking. Um, but if multiple people do that at the same time, it could get a little chaotic. Can I put the questions up again? Yeah, um, and, and one of the things that was just brought up is that Palm Sunday, as it happens in Matthew 21, Luke 19, etc., is not during the Feast of Sukkot. And that's important because it would have been legal to get the palm branches out if it was during the actual festival. But remember what happens with uh, Hanukkah is that's like a flash Sukkot. And it, and it becomes like, if, if we get these palm branches out and we start talking about Sukkot outside of the festival, then we're talking revolution, okay? Um, so yeah, let me put the questions back up for anybody who wants them. Hi. Okay, Torin, you have a question? Those aren't called burritos. Those are called Oreos. Okay. I, that has nothing to do with uh, Sukkot, I don't think. But Okay, he's gone. Now. All right. Well, anybody else have anything? Uh, yeah, Amy's sitting over here. Which you don't have to, especially if you if you bring me coffee, you're able to sit here. But yeah, go ahead and this will pick you up. Okay, just here. a question about um, how long then were the Maccabeans? Um, I guess you want to say under control, where they once they once they revolted and they kicked out the Greeks. Yeah. Then, because this was only a hundred years later, About how long did they last then before the Romans came in then and took it over again? Uh, not long. Not long. It didn't no. sound like it. No, they, they get a few generations in, and then um, Rome comes in and starts doing Rome's thing. Okay. Okay, so I think Trisha in the chat is answering the first question. Why the palm branches? Because, and she says, because the people wanted a revolution. Uh, cue Bob Marley. <laughs> that was a joke, a bad joke. It's a joke. Okay, that's a good uh, that's a good synopsis there. I I I'm saying I agree. It's very revolutionary. It's very political. It's very uh, very violent. Even okay. Uh, Christy says the verse in Luke where Jesus says the rocks will cry out. After you explained it, it has a different meaning than what I originally thought. It's not about praising Jesus. I kind of is kind kind of is if if we're saying that Jesus as Messiah is this different um, this different bringer of peace than one who brings bloodshed, then it is kind of praising what Messiah is doing. But I, I think I understand what you mean, Christy, and that this is usually like if these people here with the palm branches stop uh, worshiping me, then even the stones on the ground will worship me. Um, I. I'm not going to say that that's a bad way to interact with that. I do think that it misses the text um, because the stones were about the graves, which is now a quote of Habakkuk, which is about bloodshed and what kind of Messiah will be and, and all of that. So um, uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, People are also texting me questions. I guess that's fair. Uh, though the chat would be easier. I'll, I'll just say that. 
Hint, hint, Sean Clark. <laughs> Hi, Sean. Um, Hi, Sean. <laughs> oh, okay. That I see why you texted me that. I'm not reading it out loud. And I hope you're smiling right now because I can't see your uh, your picture. Um, okay. Uh, so Luke asked a question. Why isn't the book of Maccabees included in the Protestant biblical text? Um, it is in the Catholic text, which you assumably know that because you said Protestant, and I know that you know that because we've talked about it. Um, the, the Maccabean books are included in what's called the Apocrypha, which... Um, why isn't it included? Um, because Martin Luther was stubborn, is my answer to that. There's, there's more reason, but um, pretty much I just think it's because Martin Luther was stubborn, which we can talk Luke, it's not, uh, it's not a question. Um, it's not a question about Palm Sunday, so I'm not going to answer that fully right now. I'm, a, I'm taking the questions down. Um, I'm not going to share my screen right now because I can't see everybody when I do that, and, and I want to be able to see uh, what's kind of going on here. Um, okay, so another, another question here, or a thought. It creates a tension that in most churches, Palm Sunday services isn't mentioned or taught. What do you mean? That Palm Sunday is not taught or mentioned? Because I think it, I think it, it's brought up quite, quite a bit. Well, I was thinking the same thing because I feel like you said we, we wave like in church when I was growing up. At least I remember like waving the palm branches and thinking it was like, "Yay, Jesus is here!" Not like mm. a revolution. And so it almost feels like we're feeding into like the, the um, confusion or miscommunication of like what this entire thing is about okay and that's a fair statement i am going to not take a stance of condemning that practice because it has been very meaningful at least in modern church history to a lot of people and it's taken on its own meaning um so when i was at fuller theological seminary i got to learn from a guy named glenn stassen who's one of the 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 best social ethics and peacemaking minds. Um, he, he died a few years ago, but he would always, and this was in Pasadena on Palm Sunday, he would take palm branches and they would like make a little fake donkey and like walk it through the streets of Pasadena and um, use it as a way to say Jesus is the way the palm branches and, and go, Jesus is bringing a different kind of peace. And so we should, we should be inspired by what it means to be peacemakers. That's disconnected from, I think, a good exegetical understanding of those texts, but it's still good. Like it's still a beautiful thing. So I'm not going to condemn those practices. Um, but this is why at, when I, when I first got here, um, I, I went, okay, let's go ahead and keep the Palm Branches Palm Sunday, but we're also going to do Passion Sunday at the same time. And we created a service that was Palm and Passion Sunday all in one morning. Because I do think it's helpful that even if we do the Palm Branches, that we also go, how do these Palm Branches lead to Jesus's death? Um, because I do think that they're connected. And the only thing I would say, Amanda, um, now let's say, 
that you are a pastor, okay? And you just asked me that question. Um, I might get a little bit vitriolic with a pastor about that, of saying you have a responsibility to have better biblical literacy than you just displayed. And um, this is why I love this conversation. And I had mentioned on Facebook that every year I want to I have this talk, but because we do Palm and Passion Sunday, it's such a full morning that I never have time to do this. So I'm kind of excited. Like I finally get to talk about this, um, but this should, be, this should be more talked about. And the reason it's not is because I think somewhere along church history, we stopped reading the text well. Because nothing I just said, um, do you have to know like a whole bunch of stuff about history and have read a bunch of books for it? You just need to read the Bible. It's all right, right in that. Like even if you go, you read Matthew 21, and like, why did they use palm branches? All you got to do is, is read about uh, Sukkot. And you would know that that's, that's a part of the thing. Okay. Um, and so, and that's, Trisha, what you said of the tensions not mentioned. And, the, and, and that's the part that I wish that we did more of noting that when they do the palm branches, that causes Jesus to cry. He weeps because they do the palm branches. And, and Amanda, you know, I think that's, that's something that probably could be brought up in churches is like, hey, when y'all do this cool Palm Sunday thing with the palm branches, like, do you realize that you're doing the thing that made Jesus cry? Even though that's not, uh, there's no intention of that political revolution thing when, you know, a, a small church does the palm branches with everybody. Um, so, okay, um, Chantel, you've got your hand raised. Go ahead. Um, you know, I was just re relating to the people in the crowd. Like, I imagine myself seeing Jesus crying, and um, it, it reminded me of how often I feel clueless, and especially right now. Like, um, a lot of times what's running through my mind is um, this phrase, congratulations on missing the point. And so there have been a lot of moments in this whole crisis that we're in where I feel like I, mi I missed the point um, unintentionally. And so I just wondered if there were people who, even with the Easter story, have often found themselves like missing the point, um, but so wanting to get it. And then once you get it, um, just being like in a state of, reflection and and awe a little bit you know for if I could give you an example what I mean by that is like yesterday we went for a walk and um, found some joy and happiness in being in nature yet it's there's such a contrast in that like you post that stuff on Facebook or whatever and you almost feel like the weight of being happy um, isn't okay because you're mourning the loss of um, friends that are losing loved ones as well, you know. So I don't know. I'm, I'm probably not making sense, Tyler, but I just imagine myself in the crowd and seeing Jesus and seeing him crying and maybe having an expression of you're missing the point yeah. and not really meaning to miss the point, you know. And I'm, I guess I'm hoping that this week, uh, being Holy Week, that I, that I don't let everything else cause me to miss the point. Yeah, I, I think that's a great thought. Absolutely. 
Um, I, I would maybe say, you know, one of the things that some of you have been around me for years, and um, let's be honest, I have a little bit of a notorious reputation for loving Lent and Advent too much. And I always push people like, go into the darkness, go into the death. The, the divine dwells in the darkest places. Um, there's something powerful in that vulnerability that allows you to see more clearly. I, that's my opinion, right? Um, I think it's almost fitting that the week of Holy Week, the last week of Lent, is going to happen during maybe one of the darker periods of history for us, at least in our, our known history. Go into that. Um, and if that means missing, missing Easter a little bit, I actually think in doing so, you're honoring Easter and you're honoring Holy Week. You know, um, like this, this week, I'm going to be having a lot of, a lot of hard conversations um, with the Carr family. And that's going to be dark and it's going to be sad. Um, and I actually think that honors Good Friday a little bit in my mind, you know? Um, and then, but at the same time, you have this tension that we have to be people of hope. Um, almost like irrationally hopeful. And so there's also a possibility of going like maybe death doesn't have the last word. And so we should know death and we should feel it and we should suffer. And yet we should also know that the story is bigger than that. And so there can be moments of happiness that we might feel a little bit guilty for during such a dark period of time. But alas, we're, we're Easter people where we should be. Um, so I think, I think just by you bringing up that point, making that connection, you're, you're honoring the story pretty well, you know? Um, somebody asked a question. Um, Kelsey asked, when you say he weeps over the palm branches, is it because of the reality of what was happening, uh, revolt, versus what should happen, peace? Um, yeah, I, I think so. And if you, I mentioned the Gospel of Mark. So there's something in the Gospel of Mark called the uh, messianic secret where Jesus will heal somebody and then say, don't tell anybody about this. And then, of course, they do. So some people go like, it was reverse psychology. He's just trying to get them. I don't think that's the, I don't agree with that theory. Um, and then all of these large crowds come. Eventually, we find out that the hope for Messiah was one of violence. And so when Jesus heals somebody in Mark, they go like, that's Messiah. Let's, let's go get Caesar. He's here. And so why does Jesus tell people to keep quiet is because they're not ready for the kind of Messiah he is. And until they understand that this Messiah is different from that violent revolutionary, then he's not going to be explicit about it. And the way that we find out in Mark when he shows what Messiah is, is when he dies. Messiah is not supposed to die, folks. The, the violent revolutionary, the, the leader of the revolt, isn't supposed to get assassinated Okay. And um, so I think, yeah, when Jesus weeps, he's looking and going like they still, the very thing they want is going to be at their own demise. 
And if they would have just known this, this third way, this different way, this nonviolent way to bring about a new world that God's been doing since the beginning, maybe they would actually pursue it. And they're not. And so he weeps. Um, you know, it, there, when I read these texts, I get sad. I, it, it emotively brings out, you know, like Chantel's saying, I imagine being in that crowd, uh, when it starts with this like hope. Imagine all of those people like running out, cutting off palm branches and bringing them like everybody's like, oh my gosh, it's happening. Let's go. Um, and then them finding out Jesus is going like, no, this isn't it. What are you doing? You know, later in the book of Matthew, it's put down your sword. What do you, no, that's the, that's not how this works. And, and that's kind of how I, how I see what's going on. Um, let me catch up on some of the, the comments here in the chat. Um, uh, Chantel, I see that hand. Okay. Oh my gosh. You know what we should do? We should have like an altar call on Zoom where people can push the little hand raise button and we can make that be, and I can say for the first time ever, I see that hand. I see that hand. Okay, sorry. That was, that was a, I got sidetracked. Okay, uh, Bob, Bob brought up, we were taught that Hosanna means save us and that Jesus' followers were expecting him to lead them in a revolution, but we're disappointed that it wasn't a militant uprising and they didn't understand why. I like understanding the connection to the festivals and the Maccabean revolt. Oh, that's from Mary, not Bob. Um, and and I do think I I do think that very few people in the Gospels are portrayed as understanding what kind of Messiah Jesus is. Even Peter gets it wrong. All right, the famous Matthew sixteen discourse where Jesus says, um, "Who do who do you say that I am?" and um, and then he goes on to say, yeah, this Messiah is going to be killed. And Peter says, no, 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 no. I won't let that happen. And he doesn't get that that's actually the means um, of this peace. And that's going to be the tension as we move towards Easter. Um, how, how do we overcome death? How do we overcome the problems of the world? Through death. Through, through sacrifice, through selflessness, through suffering, through love. This is different. The, the peace Jesus is bringing, it's bigger than military uprising, right? Um, Trisha said, uh, uh, yes, and I think so many people, Christians, are still not ready for Messiah, and I would say maybe this kind of Messiah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know that we do a good job of articulating what Jesus was accomplishing you know, in general. And I think that's the theological task for local churches that we should be doing. Um, maybe because of what's happening in the world right now, although it can be so, so sad and grief is all around us and within us, maybe we will be more ready to accept Messiah. Um, Vanessa, you said no. What was that in response to? Oh, to, raising to, uh, to the raising or to the hand thing. Oh, to the hand thing. Yeah. That's like my childhood and I don't want to relive that. I'm at home. Hi there. Okay. Uh, I have very fond <laughs> memories. I didn't actually know what the hand raising thing was until I was with Vanessa at her church uh, in Pennsylvania. And the pastor did that. 
And like, I didn't know what was happening because I wasn't raised in that culture. And I'm looking around at people and nobody's raising their hand. And the pastor's going, I see that hand. I see that. And I'm, and I'm looking at him like, you just lied to all these. What are you doing? This, this doesn't seem right. Anyways. Okay. Chantal, you have your hand raised. Uh, go ahead. No, I, you just did a better job of articulating what I was um, thinking, which is the, um, are people really ready for the Messiah? You know, and that's the question that I'm really asking myself. We've been doing this um, devotional thing on um, the Version Bible um, about the Lord's Prayer. And I was really, um, I don't know if the word convicted is the right thing, but I was re- being really thoughtful about the part where it says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. and um, like when you it's funny you were talking about a pastor lying like do I really mean it do I really mean that when I say thy kingdom come thy will be done do I really trust that um, I want that to happen I'm going to ask an even further question than what you all are kind of bringing up right here which is good um, which is like not being ready for Messiah let's phrase that differently do we actually want this Messiah do we want the Messiah who weeps because of the palm branches. Um, and, you know, thinking back to this questions, how does this impact the meaning of Jesus's interest in, into Jerusalem? I think we've covered that good, but why is this important for Jesus's passion? Is the contrast of a military hero versus a slain lamb, if we want to use that Passover image. Um, I think the entrance into Jerusalem helps us see Jesus' death as, as not just like this general abstract thing, but this is how Messiah is supposed to work. And we'll be getting into this um, this week with some of the content we're putting out. But um, there's a song. Does anybody know the band Brand New? Brand New? Anyone? Okay, I'm seeing a few a few head nods uh, and such. They have a song called uh, "Jesus Christ," um, and the song it's I like the song. Okay, and there is this line um, where actually let me I might play it for you. We'll see. Um, but there's this image at the end of the song where it's talking about like if Jesus came back, would we recognize him? Um, and, and the refrain to it is we've all got wood and nails and we turn, churn out hate in factories. And it's this image of like, if Jesus showed up as this kind of Messiah today, would we accept him? Would, would we want the gentle revolutionary peacemaker would we want the, the person who hangs out with the tax collectors and sinners? Would we want the one who says like, hey, your religion's messed up and I, I cannot abide by this. You know, I, I, think, I, I think we read, you know, hear the story of Palm Sunday and we go like, we wouldn't be like those people in the crowd. And I, I, w- I would ask us to consider we might be, you know, we might be the ones waving the palm branches. Um, let me get to Luke's, uh, comment here. My impression was that Christian tradition has repurposed, knowingly or otherwise, good good disclaimer there, the use of the palms. 
such that Christian use of, the, uh, of them on Palm Sunday is done expecting the kind of peace and redemption that Jesus actually brought. That may be giving the Christian church too much credit, but I felt that way being raised in the Catholic church. And that's uh, Luke, the example I gave of Glenn Stassen in Pasadena, I think that's what he was doing. Um, and, and absolutely, I honor that. That's beautiful. I'm probably not going to do that because I also think this take on the contrast of the palms is more true to the text. Um, and I think it's more uh, confrontational to us. But uh, yeah, no, I, um, I, I, think that, I think that how it's been repurposed isn't necessarily bad. I just ask, like, is it, is it so far-fetched for us to just take the text literally there? Um, and no, it- and I actually, I think what you've done um, in illuminating that is very helpful because if you don't know what it meant in the first place, you can't know that you've changed it or the importance that it meant to Jesus, that it was not what what was what they they weren't expecting the same thing he was nice yeah Uh, amy has her hand raised i think this confronts that myth of redemptive violence everybody thinks that we're going to have a revolution everybody thinks that going to war is a way to bring peace and i think that what jesus was representing is that fact that no you know, we, we don't need to do that. We can find nonviolent ways to confront the problems that we have. The, you know, seeing that image of God in everyone and being able to, um, you know, find ways to do it that are not violent that maybe honor that person as well. And that's like you kind of get them to that root of it's one thing to go ahead and, and, and be angry or kill, say, someone like terrorists or people like that. But why not go back? Was it Desmond Tutu that said rather than pull people out of the river go down the stream and figure out why they're falling in. It's like, then understand why does our foreign policy create this kind of problem? Or in an individual, what kind of problems happened in their lives that would make them become a violent person? So I think this kind of confronts that. Yeah, there's actually, um, you know, and now we're starting to get into Easter a little bit, but there's actually an atonement theory, and it's actually the oldest. So atonement theory is trying to explain why Jesus died. And the oldest one that was a part of the church was that, in Jesus's death, he destroyed the powers and and the evil of the world. He overcame it through his death. Um, and there's been a, a newer one within the last hundred years or so called the scapegoat theory, and it's that what Jesus did um, on on the cross was he absorbed our violence to show us the power of nonviolence. Um, and Jesus's resurrection affirms that the way to overcome evil is through this kind of selfless sacrifice and an exposed that violence doesn't work, right? So there's a whole theory. Um, if you want to read more about that, um, Walter Wink has a book called The Powers That Be, and he, he offers some really interesting explanations of how what Jesus does is he exposes the myth of redemptive violence. Um, and we've talked about the myth of redemptive violence. Um, I don't remember what year it was, but... Uh, you say that often. Yeah, I, I know. I know that uh, when we did the Sermon on the Mount and we did "Blessed are the peacemakers," I know we talked about it then. Um, and I use I use the image of a vacuum as a way to understand nonviolent resistance. Um, and I'm not going to explain that here. So if that piqued your interest, go find that. I guess. Um, 
Uh, I was going to say something about about Easter. I don't remember. Okay, somebody else have a question or a thought or a comment, um, and I'll try to remember what I was going to say. Not seeing any. Uh, I was just going to... Go ahead. I was just going to request, um, I miss music. Like, I miss live music. And I wondered if, as a church, um, that we might create a Zoom meeting where people could share um, their talent. I, I miss um, I miss Noah. I, I wonder about Amy and Bruce and, you know, Hans um, can sing, like, those kinds of things. I just... I miss worship, I guess. Like, but there—I mean, there's lots of forms of worship, but the mm -hmm. the worship that comes through music. Um, yeah, and I think you logged in a little bit after I said this, but I had said that um, after doing this for a couple of weeks, I'm I'm trying to think more of how we capture the totality of a Sunday morning here, and I think we're doing the conversation, teaching, content part well. Um, but that's been part of it. So we did some liturgy this morning. Um, we did some some form of prayers this morning. And um, Noah and I have been talking about him writing music for us. And um, what he can, what we can do is I can actually play that for you and um, you'll hear it as if it's on your computer. Um, one of the problems is Noah is quarantined right now. Um, so we had talked at one time about actually hooking up to our sound system and putting that into the computer so he could play live and it would sound good as opposed to like going through the computer's mic. Um, mm -hmm. And now that's not going to happen at least for a while because he's not leaving his house. Um, so I'm, I'm very open to that. And, you know, I think finding ways to creatively engage all the things we do well is going to be important because I do think this is going to last longer than any of us want. Mm -hmm. um, is Noah okay? Yeah, he's being asked to stay quarantined for the sake of one of his roommate's family members. Um, there's a story there, nothing serious. Um, it's, a, it's anticipation of a baby being born and um, so they've asked him to, to stay put because uh, he lives with the family members of that person who's having a baby. Um, other thoughts? I do have this, uh, this brand new song pulled up if anybody wants to hear it, but I realize there may be people who don't care about that. And uh, I don't want to subject anyone to it who doesn't want to. Um, man, I was going to, I had a connection in my head about Easter and how it relates to this. Can I, I, I don't know if this is really a question or a comment, yeah. but, um, you know, in thinking about the importance of all this for Jesus's passion, it's almost like, um, our misunderstand I guess I would say the Hebrews misunderstanding of everything and, and like why Jesus was really there is kind of what fulfills 
the whole story. Then that he, you know, he's crucified because the people think he's a revolutionary and that he's, he's creating this revolution, which he really wasn't even meant to do. Now, I, I want to clarify one thing in that I do sit under the belief that he was doing something revolutionary. He still is called the king of the Jews. He's still called son of God, which is actually a reference to him being a king of Israel. Um, so I still think he was doing something of a revolution. It just wasn't a violent one. Right. Um, it wasn't a military one. But it was, still would have been threatening to Rome. Hence, he's killed. Okay. Um, but I, I, I just think it's fascinating to connect this moment. I call it the descent to Jerusalem. Technically, you go up to Jerusalem, right? Um, but I call it a descent because it's, he comes in and there's this big moment and then just slowly everything goes downhill. And, you know, thinking about the disciples of why do they all run and hide after Jesus is arrested? Amy said because they're afraid of getting arrested too. Yeah, yeah, but I think I think it goes even further. Messiah's done. How how can how can a military hero lead a revolution from jail? It's over, right? Amy's rose her hand. Is this kind of like um you know like what happened with Gandhi? It, both sides didn't like him. He was trying to do something, and both sides had an idea about who he was. One side thought he was, you know, trying to go against them, so they wanted to kill him. And the other side thought they were he was for them, but he really wasn't. He had his own side. And I always get that kind of feeling from Jesus. His disciples actually thought that he was doing something, and, the, and obviously the other, other Israelites thought he was doing something. Rome thought he was also doing that same thing, so they wanted to kill him for that. But then his own people got upset when it turned out he wasn't who they expected him to be. So uh, one, one thing I did want to bring up is notice, uh, let's just take Matthew's version, for example. Um, notice that here on Palm Sunday, there's massive crowds around Jesus. Okay. What happens to those crowds? They're gone. But by the time uh, Jesus is arrested, none of these people are following him around anymore. In fact, the only crowds that are gathering are the ones who are yelling, crucify him, crucify him. So I think we can look at how the crowd responds as an indicator of what's happening is when Jesus in their mind is this uh, Maccabean figure, they're all like, okay, let's go. Everybody get on this. And then when that doesn't happen, they go, then we're out. They don't actually want Jesus. They want what they could have gotten from Jesus. And if that's not a contemporary critique for how most people approach Christianity, I don't know what is. <laughs> now, back to Amy's question. Yes, yeah, so the disciples flee. And um, I, had a <clears throat> I had a mentor who once talked about how um, we have to understand that on Good Friday and Saturday, the disciples are scared, Right. And just let that image sink in. Of the, the disciples are like literally scared because of what's going on. Um, but there's one group of people who uh, both uh, in Christian tradition and in the text does seem to get it. Do you know who they are? Come on. 
Anybody? The women. The women. <laughs> the people, there is a group of people who does continue to follow Jesus, who does continue to take care of things, who is responding the whole time, and it's the women. Um, hold on, I'm, uh, I'm reading some chat messages. Um, I got I got one that talked about how some people are saying God is doing um, the the whole coronavirus situation, um, and I would say listen to last week's audio, and I try to explain why I think that's rubbish. Um, Kelsey said today's discussion just has me in a in a weird sad headspace. Not sure if that's normal, just because of a lack of background, but not sure. Um, if that's normal, but just thinking of everything, it's always been a happier time, but never knowing the backstory of what happened just brings over this gray cloud and welcome to Holy Week, Kelsey. Um, and, and so literally what we do, um, what, what, <clears throat> what we do on Sundays normally when we meet is we start with singing Hosanna, singing all creatures of our God and King, read this text, and then we go, oh, they don't understand it. Jesus weeps and we go into a confession and then we go into Passover and then we go into Jesus's death and we just allow um, every one of the things I love that we do is when you show up here on Palm and Passion Sunday, this, everything's decorated beautifully and what we do throughout the morning is we take everything down and we make it barren and dark as a way to physically feel like this is what it would have been. And, and Holy Week, you know, it's... It's meant to help us confront that stuff in ourselves and in the world. And I think that right now we've got a lot of it and we, we ought to take it seriously. Um, and, but that's where Easter has to be in contrast. You know, an image that we've used of Easter before is like our world is concrete. It's barren, dark, ugly, destructive, negative concrete. And we need to pay attention to that. But when you do, the hope is that you'll see a flower coming up and piercing the cracks in the concrete and showing us that hope's still possible. And, and if we participate in this flower, we might actually overcome the concrete. Okay, so I think you need both sides of that, um, similar to Advent. But so I don't, I don't want to ever make anyone um, like depressed because of this. But at the same time, like it's part of the story. We can't ignore what happens to Jesus. We can't ignore how Israel misses it. We can't ignore um, how people have, have missed what's happening with this very important story, you know? Um, comment from Luke, they do choose the zealot um, criminal over Jesus, Barabbas, yeah when Pilate offers, if that doesn't solidify the illustration of Palms and Sukkot, I'm not sure what does. Luke, I think that's a really good connection. Um, actually, I had, I had not made that connection before, but yeah, then they, they have the option to free Jesus and they're like, no, give us the, the zealot criminal, the one who murdered a bunch of people because he was an insurgent. We'll take him because uh, maybe he'll help us do that. that that's a good point. Um, uh, okay. 
Uh, Christy said, Kelsey makes sense. It's like uh, Chantel said about missing the point. Having the backstory is eye-opening. For me, it's a revolt, a self-revolt of the old me versus the new me and I'm, uh, that I'm trying to become. Awesome thought. Christy, I, I appreciate that. Trisha said, I think that the hope is in the restoration. Maybe this time in our world today is a time to reflect on restoration. I like that. Um, we actually have something planned for Easter that not even my staff knows about. Um, and I'm interested to see how, um, how we respond to it. <clears throat> because it's a different way to, to understand Easter. Um, but mom, it goes along with that idea. Um, I actually I was driving yesterday and I listened to the thing that I'm going to do for Easter and I've heard it hundreds of times, not hundreds of times, but a lot. And I started, uh, I started like getting choked up while I was listening and I just started laughing because it's like this story still gets me after all these years. It's, it's amazing. Um, okay. Kelsey said, uh, the reality is important regardless of how it makes others feel. One could live in a world of only happiness, but it's the trials and tribulations which really set a strong foundation for growth and understanding. Um, in the Gospel of John, Kelsey, Jesus uses an image of burying a seed. And, you know, this is where the process is important. Do you want to grow a plant? Well, then you have to bury a seed. And we might not like that part, but it's part of the process. Um, and I think it's fitting that Jesus uses that. And, and let's bring that into our current contemporary situation, right? If you try to ignore what's happening right now, you'll not, off, uh, you'll not only miss um, a lot of important human experiences, you could also kill people. You know what I mean? Like if somebody's going like, I'm just going to ignore this whole coronavirus thing and just do whatever I want, you could kill somebody. Okay, so, so entering the darkness and taking it seriously is not, entering our current situations, not just about uh, realizing what it means to be a human being and, and all the spectrum of life that comes with it. It's also like, it's good for you <laughs> and it's safer. And, um, you know, I... I, I can say from a counseling perspective of how many times, and I'm going to go ahead and throw old men under the bus right now uh, as a general stereotype. And I know this isn't true about any, everybody, but you know what old men have uh, in their mindset of when it comes to like pain and emotion, um, rural people in general kind of have this as like, we're tougher than that, right? I don't, I don't need that stuff. And, and literally they're, they're like locking themselves in a room crying in private because they don't know how to deal with this stuff. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's, unless we learn how to interact with this part of our lives, we might not be okay. Um. And certainly can you critique that we become too focused on emotion and um, we're not ever constructive with the darkness? Absolutely. Let's, let's make sure we go there as well. Um, because remember, the seed's not just buried for the sake of burying the seed. It's, it's to create a contrast that allows something to grow. Um, 
but you know, you need both parts. Uh, Chantel, go ahead. Um, I just, not to take lightly what we're talking about, but when you, what we're talking about old men, I just wanted to mention to everyone else that Hans's birthday is actually this Friday and he's turning 50. 49. <laughs> so I just wondered and <laughs> to just give a little contrast to the darkness. <laughs> Can we wish Hans a happy birthday? Wait, because what, he's 50. What <laughs> day is his birthday? Then. This Friday. This Friday. Man, a birthday on Good Friday. I don't know. A birthday on Good Friday during a coronavirus quarantine. This guy. I don't know how much happier things can get for you there. That's going to be a lot of fun. And his wife is much younger. I want to go on record and say that. A Not really. Absolutely, Chantel. Certainly, we, we hear you there. Uh, Okay. Any any other thoughts? And we're going to start wrapping up here. Um, any some you're processing a connection you want to make. Uh, what what I'll say and go ahead and start talking or give a chat if if you want to. Um, so so today is the first kind of beginning of Holy Week, and um, what we are doing. Is uh, we're going to be putting out a lot of content this week um, online, and um, I this is partly and we try to do a lot during Holy Week, and without being able to gather, um, we can't do a lot of those things. So um, let me share my screen with you real quick, and um, just kind of show you a little bit of what we got going. So um, we're going to be putting this stuff out. Um, all week this week. And so today we did this uh, quarantine sessions, Palm Sunday style. What are the palm branches for anyways? Um, hopefully tomorrow or Tuesday, we will be releasing uh, the palms, the Passover and the passion. Um, and then on Friday, Thursday or Friday, we're going to release the Good Friday one. And that's actually the barn stations that we've changed the format of so you can do it at home by listening to the audio or reading it. Um, and off, oh, and then uh, for Easter, that's what we're going to be doing. It's an Easter parable called the Desecration. Um, and on Easter Sunday, I'll be playing that. So if you log in, um, you'll, you'll get to listen to the audio with me, and then we'll discuss it. Um, but all three of these, the, the last three, are going to have PDF versions that you can download and print. Um, so especially if you have a family member or friend who cannot access online audio, we've put these into... Um, into um, written forms and so if you can do them a favor print it out once it's up and take it to them so they can still um, have the content you know we'd, we'd appreciate that but so that's what we've got coming up um, and then we got some new oh people are talking about birthdays uh, <laughs> good lots of birthdays going on this week I can't say I am envious um, but happy birthday to all of you, and I hope you still find a way to celebrate. Um, 
but but yeah so that's that's what's going on this week so just keep up on facebook i'll also be emailing out once these things are posted um i'm I'm excited for a couple of them um like noah's written a lot of the music for it that kind of goes behind the the stories that are being told and um so i hope it'll be i hope it'll be beneficial for you um and then next sunday on easter we'll still we'll still do this but it'll be We'll listen to the story together and then have conversation on it. Um, but yeah, so that's that's everything that's coming up this week. Um, another thing that I wanted to say while y'all are on here is um, after Easter, I'm considering changing this. Um, one thing I want to do is I think um, I think I want to I think I want to have Easter conversations for a while because y'all know that Easter um, is not just next Sunday. It's a whole season. It goes from Easter to Pentecost. And so I'm thinking of like, what if we cover different texts and um, different atonement theories like um, Genesis uh, 15, 16, 17 is actually in my mind an Easter story. Um, and so we'll like, maybe we'll take some time and explore that text or um, Isaiah and the prophecy on um, wine flowing from the hills and what that means for John, um, Gospel of John chapter 2, right? Like there's, there's some of these things I'd love to explore. One of the things that I'm thinking about doing and talking with some of the families is I think what I'm going to do is change it that from 9.30 to 10, it's going to be um, the kids quadrant that we do for youth church. And I'm going to do that with um, kids and older kids like you all, if you want to do it. Um, and we'll, I'm just going to do the quadrant with them so that, you know, parents can get on with their kids and still have something for their kids on Sundays. Um, and then from 10 to like 11, 1130, uh, we'll have these kinds of conversations and maybe some music, maybe some liturgy, maybe some um, different stuff. So we'll start that after Easter, though, um, so people have a heads up on it. Um, does anybody have any last thoughts? Um, okay. I'm going to go ahead and play the, uh, the, the brand new song called Jesus Christ. That'll be our, our music for the morning. Um, and so if you, if you're like, yeah, I don't really care. Um, you know, grace and peace to you and feel free to go. You don't, you don't have to feel guilty about uh, being gone. But um, if you want to stick around and hear it, um, I'll, I'll let it play. Um, does that sound okay? Okay, so I'm going to play this. And at any time you, you want to go, um, go ahead and probably when it's done, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end the meeting and uh, I'll answer some more questions for a little bit if anybody has anything. Um, but um, also, if this starts going and it doesn't work, the, you can't hear the audio, uh, hurry up and tell me so I, can, so I can fix it. Otherwise, I'm just going to be sitting here listening to this by myself, which I don't, I don't, uh, I don't hate that idea. Um, No, that's not it. I'm still getting used to Zoom. Okay.
pretty face Kind you'd find on someone I could save If they don't put me away A little dear miracle Do you believe you're missing out? Everything good is happening somewhere else But with nobody in your bed The night's hard to get through And I So that was the song. Um, I know it's probably a little bit emo for uh, some of you or a little bit too like grunge rock and that's fine. Um, but I, I really think it does that question that came up at that one point was, um, do we want this kind of Messiah? And what I love about uh, what I love about the honesty of that song is that it says, you know, based on what we see, probably not. We might say that we do, um, 
but I, I think we might be just as likely to crucify this Messiah if he came about in our time than, um, than, than the people in that Roman Empire were. And it's a tough question to think about, but it's something to consider um, and, and allow that to maybe offer some change into how we approach Jesus and, and this movement and this tradition. So, all right. Um, if nobody has anything else, um, I'm going to uh, go. I got to pick up my groceries here um, from the barn, which if that's, uh, if that's something you all want to utilize, please do. Um, it's helpful for us. It's helpful for some of the farmers that we try to work on uh, the co-op with. Um, and, you know, it, it, keeps, it keeps you from having to go into the store, at least for basic things. And uh, you can find, like, what's available for the current week um, on, on the website. Um, and, you know, if, you're gonna, if you need to buy any of those things from the store, just try buying them here. Um, Matt and I have done price comparisons. And um, everything's at least the same price or cheaper than what you could get at Kroger. So we're, we're, we're really trying to make this beneficial. Um, uh, so that, that's something to, to, to think about. So that's every week now, not just like once a month? Um, the co-op still once a month, um, where that's a full bag of a lot of different um, stuff. So we're still going to do that, um, especially because people have subscribed for um, um, for longer periods. Um, but the grocery thing is like just selective. You need a couple things, you can you can get those, um, and you can pick them up here. Um, and uh, Cheryl had said, you know, still miss the old hymns, and um, we'll go to YouTube and listen to those and and. Um, I guess that's a good thing about technology is, you know, there's especially this Sunday and next Sunday for Easter, there's a lot of just like classics that you're used to hearing. And at least we have places where those are stored and, and can be listened to. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of a, an issue of like, we didn't, we didn't sing all creatures of our God and King today. And every year we do that, you know, um, and every year we sing, um, were you there when they crucified my Lord on this day? And gosh, like I, that's one of, that is probably my favorite moment in our whole church year is when we extinguish those candles and we read that final line that, uh, Jesus is killed and he was laid in a tomb and we extinguish them. And there's that silence and everybody sits in it and the room's been emptied and it's dark and it's like, we are experiencing the tomb. Ah, can't do that online, you know? <laughs> so, um, but that is what the audio for the poems, the, the Passover and the passion is going to try to do. Um, so some of that might be on there um, as well. All right. Um, it's all, uh, it's 1130 guys. We've been going for a while. Um, so, this is my grace and peace to you all. Um, please look out on Facebook and um, via email. We'll be sending out all the stuff for Holy Week and hopefully it's, it's um, beneficial for you all. So we'll, we'll see you all soon, okay?